Welcome into Missing the Point. I am Michael Marcangelo, joined alongside by Broadway Joe Malkin. It's been a long time since I've said that. Uh, and today, I think what we're going to do, Joe, is we're going we're gonna to do an autopsy on the Patriots, the season, that abomination of a game that happened on Saturday night. Talk a little bit about uh, Dallas and the 49ers and <laughs> that shit show as well. And then preview uh, divisional uh, divisional weekend. But before we get into anything specific... What were your overall thoughts of the quality of football that was played last weekend? Super wild card weekend. The first weekend ever that there was a Monday night uh, football wild card game. No, no pleasantries, huh? Good news. Uh, so the <laughs> super, super wild card weekend, which I, I thought was an interesting name for it. I, I saw what they were trying to do. Super bowl weekend, blah, 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 all this other stuff. I get it. Uh, I honestly, I loved watching every single game uh, and even the Patriots game. And I'll explain that why we, when we get into that game, but man, I, it was exciting. It was fun. It had a little bit of everything, you know, for we saw a second year quarterback might as well be a rookie since he went out with a bad knee injury last year and Joe Burrow cement himself as as an NFL quarterback. I mean, this guy's the real deal. He's got the attitude. He's got the 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 intestinal fortitude to play in the NFL. They do need to put an offensive line in front of them. You know, it'll be interesting. The Titans are the number one. The Packers are the number one in in the NFC. The 49ers, I I loved watching the 49ers win. I think it would have been that way regardless of who they played. But I love that they went into AT&T Stadium and beat the, the Cowboys. Uh, on on their own, the 49ers are fun to watch. Kyle Shanahan is a real deal NFL head coach, you know. And I I I think we all kind of knew that already. I think he, the way he carries himself and the way he treats that team in in San Francisco, he's a good drafter. He's a good developer of talent, you know. And I I think I, I have some some other uh, feelings on that, but we'll get to that when we get to the Dallas game. Love to watch. Hey, Matt Stafford, your guy won his first playoff game. He looked like, I mean, he looked like he looked like he finally had a coach. He looked he, he looked like he finally had a coach that knew what he was doing. And you know what? I, I I'll say it right here, right now. I and I've said it already last week. I was wrong about Odell Beckham Jr. and his dad might be the best the best marketing professional uh, in the world for how he he miss handily mishandled the situation with his son in Cleveland. He's been nothing but a model citizen for the Rams. Uh, and I don't think it would have been the same had he gone to other places, including new England. I think he's where he should be right now. Tampa, what, whatever Tampa's Tampa, that, that team just, they just look good. They look good. And the chiefs, the chiefs played big Ben in his swan song. And I, I, I know the overall overarching feelings on Big Ben on this show and how we all feel about him in his off-field incidents and everything. This was probably his last game in the NFL. Uh, and if we don't take into account the off-field stuff, the guy's a Hall of Famer, and he had an incredible football career uh, and played for one of the best franchises in the NFL. Uh, but I think it was only right that the Chiefs won to go on to play the Bills at home uh, this weekend. 
Yeah, so uh, we don't need to get into the Big Ben stuff. Uh, I, we, I think we've done a really good job covering yep. that. I'll, I'll just say that I thought it was very poetic that he was forcefully and unconsentingly screwed uh, out of that game. Uh, that's what he deserves. Uh, so yeah, maybe he's all a favor if, if all you can do is, is look at the at, at stats. I understand that people can. I can't, but yeah, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. My <clears throat> my overarching sentiments for the weekend, though, I loved it. Yep. I loved uh, the the two games on Saturday, the three on Sunday, and then the, the, and then the Monday night game. I thought that they did a really good job uh, <clears throat> promoting it. Some of the games didn't really live up to the hype. Uh, obviously, the Patriots game was the the one that we could talk about. And for those of you that are watching this on YouTube, you might notice a new accessory on my face. It's because I firmly believe that God is taking away my my vision. Uh, for w- having watched that game for three hours on Saturday. So this, uh, these, these are penance, as, as the Catholics would say. But uh, I thought <clears throat> that the, the, the debacle in Dallas, man, if, if there was any team that you could predict such an unpredictable clusterfuck at the end, it's a Mike McCarthy coach team. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go into that a little bit more. But no, I thought, <clears throat> I thought the games were really entertaining. There was uh, the blowout, you know, the, the, the Bucks-Eagles game, that I think that was what we thought it was going to be. The only shot that the Eagles had were were to come out like really strong, and they just they just couldn't do it. Looks like the the Tampa Bay defense turned it on. So let's not let's not waste any time. Let's just get let's just get right into this. The, uh, okay, so the Patriots and the Bills wild card weekend. We thought we all had mentioned right that uh, going into this game they needed to do a, as much uh, as they could to replicate their success in Buffalo. Five weeks ago, uh, they they needed to really control the pace uh, and and the clock, and they didn't do any of those things. I, the fact that you had a Bill Belichick led defense again, because I don't think uh, that that his uh, that his son is calling the shots. Although after what I saw, I kind of hope that that's the truth. The that's actually the truth. The fact that Buffalo had seven straight drives that ended in in a touchdown. That's embarrassing. That that's never happened in the history of any uh, Bill Belichick coach team, whether he was a defensive coordinator uh, or or anything. So yeah, forty-seven seventeen was the final score. If you can believe it, and I think you agree with this, Joe. It wasn't even that close. No, it wasn't that close. And that, this, uh, I I look at this game from a lot of perspectives, and I I I want to because we're a primarily New England podcast. I, I like to look at this game from the point of view of the Buffalo Bills. And now a look inside my personal life. Saturday night, I went with a couple of friends to the casino. We watched the first half of the game at the casino, and we said, you know what? We're done. I can't do this anymore. And driving home, listening to it on the radio, I, I finally called my buddy who I had gone to the casino with, and we drove separately, and I said, we got to stop for a beer. I, I can't not watch the end of this game and I don't want to do it at home. So we met up for a beer and, and in the first half of that game, my thoughts were very much, wow, this sucks. Look at how poorly they're playing. And then the second half, it switched to look at how perfect the Buffalo bills are, are planning, coaching, playing and executing this football game. They messed with Bill Belichick for 60 minutes and they never stopped. They, they didn't relent. They didn't pull their foot off the gas until the clock hit zero in the fourth quarter. And we saw that when they threw a touchdown pass to an offensive lineman Oh yeah, and I, that put a cherry on top. And I, 
as a Patriots fan, this is going to sound bad, but as a football fan, I loved every single second of that shellacking. And, yeah. and it, it's weird to come out like out loud, but I, for some reason I, I enjoyed it. And, and I, I think I've come up with the reasons why, but go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if you just look at this game as an independent football fan, right? Uh, we talked about that last game in Buffalo where, but you know, it was, uh, it was, <laughs> it was BDE by, by Belichick, right? He just walked in there and said, Hey, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to run the ball down your throat 45 times. Stop me. So what, <laughs> what McDermott and Josh Allen said this time is, Hey, we're just going to throw on you. Mm-hmm. Stop us. You couldn't do it. So the, to, to see the pendulum swing, uh, it like so dramatically and, and what was such a short amount of time. But then if you think back to that game in Foxborough, the pay, uh, the uh, the bills haven't punted against the patriots since buffalo so right. I, I don't i don't know i don't know if they walked in there if the patriots walked in there under, like thinking that they like that they should be confident if they did i i i honestly don't know why that would have been the case i think uh, walking into that game they lost three of their last four which is again one of the most unbill belichickian things that uh, that we've ever seen i mean i think i think it's happened once in that 2018 year where they had a collapse in December. But again, you know, they had, they had Brady, they had Edelman, they had Gronk, so that they turned it around. But this game, uh, I, the one thing I, want, I do want to say is I don't blame Mac. I thought, I actually no. think Mac did, Mac did pretty well in the sense that he, like, he showed me that, he, that he's completely bought in. And you saw him in the fourth quarter when the game was way out of hand, uh, running downfield to, to, to lead a block. Like that's just not something that a quarterback would often do in this league, and uh, you know that that Micah Hyde interception was just a perfect a perfect play. Now Aguilar should have turned around and made a play on the ball. He didn't, and and Hyde was in the right spot. But it, I thought the one bright spot in this game uh, was obviously I think it's still I think it's still Mac. Uh, I think another year in the system uh, he's he's going to do a lot better. So to you know take a page out of your book, I was. I'll say it again. I've said it before. I was wrong about Mac Jones. Uh, I, I think him being the starter put us in a good place, but I think we were both wrong about this defense. I, I think we were, and, and to to cover Mac a little bit, you know, it, it's it's interesting looking at his numbers. If if we will all remember in that game in Buffalo, he only threw three passes, <laughs> uh, completed two for nineteen yards. So basically, in a sixteen game season. Mac Jones threw for 3,800 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and made the playoffs on a 10 and 7 team. Uh, that, as you mentioned, where what the Bills did is they just threw all over the Patriots. And uh, Devin Singletary figured out how to be a running back the second half of the season, which uh, you know it really started at. I don't want to say after the first Patriots game in Buffalo, but he was kind of leading up to it, and then really chugged along, helped my fantasy team down the stretch. But what I saw Saturday night from the Buffalo Bills to, to kind of revert away from, from your segue here, but before <laughs> we dive, well, before we dive into the Patriots defense and, and the other, and the other questions we have to ask here about the Patriots, what I saw Saturday was the Buffalo Bills transition from the little sisters of the poor to the hero for unseating the villain. And they will quickly become the villain. I said it in the preseason that team's a wagon, and I thought I was going to be wrong. I was right. Yeah, I, I was one hundred percent right. That team, Josh Allen is a is a very good, and he makes bad decisions from time to time. But he really cut down on those this year. 
he's a real NFL quarterback and Sean McDermott, while I think sometimes he lets his emotions get the best of him is a top tier NFL head coach without a doubt. Yeah. Top tier NFL head coach. And I, I think a lot of, you know, we, we talk about it a lot here in, in new England with, with bill where, you know, we've seen it before where he goes out and gets revenge on other teams. Uh, the, the way he always coaches his team against the New York jets, the way he always coaches his team against, uh, other certain coaches or certain teams or certain players, Sean McDermott is now doing that with the Patriots and saying, I, I don't care what the score is. We are going to run it up on you and we are not going to stop until the clock hits zero or stop us. And I love that about the Buffalo yeah. Bills. I, I think it, when you had the chance to, to make a divisional opponent realize uh, in the most important game of the year that they are not in the same class as you, you have to do it. And yep. and, and the Bills did that. And uh, I listen, I thought that the game plan was perfect. Uh, uh, from McDermott and, and the Bills. I thought, you know, Josh Allen, 21 of 25, five touchdowns. It's absolutely insane what he did. And uh, to that point, it it leads me to believe that what we saw during that seven-game winning streak and even what we saw in, in that in that 50-burger that they dropped on Jacksonville, it's just the same thing that we saw back in 2019 when they started out 8-0. Like, that defense was... Was was playing uh, at a, at a higher level than they had previously, but they were. I mean, they were a paper defense. They weren't going against really any good quarterbacks, minus Justin Herbert. And I think here's my hot take. I think they bought in. I think they believed their own hype. Well, they've done it before. Yeah. Well, they but they always had that one thing on offense that could help you overcome it, right? Uh, sure. And uh, now. I, I think they find themselves in a situation where they think that they can no-show a game and, and still win. Turns out, this version of the Patriots, uh, can when, when they no-show a game, they lose by 20 or 30. That's like th- th- They're just not that good uh, enough anymore to be able to dog a game and, and still be competitive. And I have a bunch of things that I want to talk about on the defensive <laughs> side of the ball. Uh, so I think we should just stick with this game right now, and then we can talk a, a little bit about uh, what we think they're going to do in the offseason before we move uh, sure. on to the rest of the schedule. But Devin McCourty, he, he, he's, I don't know if he's out of position more than he used to be or if he just can't cover up for uh, his age anymore. You remember the first year when, when they switched him from corner to safety? Yeah. And he, yeah, had, yeah. A really, he had a really, really tough time transitioning. And, and a lot of people were quick to say, oh, he can't play safety, which for, for those of us, for, for everybody, I mean, there, there are two different positions on the field and yes. there are two different positions in X's and O's. So, and, and he struggled with that. I think he's struggling again and I think he's getting too old. I think there's, I think he, I think he's done. I, I, I think he's done. I think this is going to be his last year or he'll come back next year and be a mentor. I, I don't know what, uh, for the younger safeties, because Kyle Duggar can sure as hell play. You know, th- there's there's some guys on that defense that can play. I'm with you on McCourty, and I would also throw Dante Hightower into this yeah. conversation. And I had this conversation with Ray Sean a few weeks ago, and and Ray uh, was not to call him out when he can't defend himself, but Ray was basically saying, you know, he's coming off an injury, this and that. And I said, but he's always been coming off an injury, and and 
we kind of compared him as a collective to Gerard Mayo towards the end of his career, where he's just lost enough of a step. And they were very different linebackers, but he's just lost enough of a step where he just he just can't keep up anymore. And he'll make he'll make plays from time to time because he's still a very intelligent, smart, and and uh, quick thinking football player. That's that's who Dante Hightower is. But he's not he's not there physically anymore. I think him and McCordy are kind of in the same class in this conversation. I think they would both be better served retiring at this point. Although you lose a lot of your veteran leadership, uh, because I also think you're going to lose Matthew Slater at the end of this year because I think he might retire. I mean, this is going to be a year where we see even more youth. I mean, we've we've seen it already, right? We've seen the the Duggars take over. We've seen the Mac Jones take over. We've seen the the Christian Barmore take over on defense. We've got three two young backs because there's still Brandon Bolden back there. James White, if he can recover and come back, we're going to see more youth, and we might see some more of these ten and seventeens. But I think somebody else that's lost a step, Mike, and I know I keep expanding on this, but I, I this is kind of the, the conversation I, I think you're looking for here is I think Bill Belichick's lost a step. I think, I think his game is too conservative for the style of play in the NFL at this point. And I think that that, I think it carried him as far as it, it could. We all know the, the defensive side of the ball. He's always been one to, to, draft the prototypical linebacker, the Ted Johnsons, the, the, uh, Willie McGinnis, the, which he didn't draft, but he inherited, uh, Teddy Bruschi, who he inherited. He loves those guys because of their, because of their size. And, uh, he can't do that anymore. The game is too fast, especially with the dolphins, uh, and the bills running what they have out. And I wouldn't, sleep on Robert Sala in, in New York either. I think he can turn that team around pretty quick. And I think Zach Wilson can be a good NFL quarterback. So point, point of this is just like Devin McCourty, I, I think, I think Bill's lost a step and I don't think he's going anywhere, but I, we can talk about this when we get to the, to the, where do they go from here segment? Yeah, I, I think I, I actually 100% agree with you. I, now I, I, the one thing that I, I, I don't know, I don't know if I disagree, but I want to talk a little, uh, a little bit more about it is, I think I don't think his coaching has lost his step, but I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head. Where his his he's he's still just trying to draft Lawrence Taylor, right? That same framework, and then uh, like what you said uh, that the the Teddy Bruschi's, uh Ted Johnsons, and that'll win you regular season games against bad teams. <clears throat> that style will still work, but in a playoff situation where uh, Bill Belichick's defense always predicates himself on. On having a script and just following you know, the orders and doing your job, right? We all hear that. Do your job. Josh Allen doesn't follow a script. When things break down, he's able to iterate on it. And then what? And then you get and then you get situations where Devin McCourty is maybe just a little, maybe six months too old to catch up to be where he was supposed to be or where he would have been two years ago. Dante Hightower, again, he. he Right now, he looks a lot like Gerard Mayo, and I listen. I'm not, I'm not here to uh, to to bash Gerard Mayo. Gerard Mayo was always a guy that you could count on to have 100 tackles in a season, but you couldn't remember one of them. Dante Hightower has been uh, has has made some of, some of the most impactful plays over the last 10 years uh, for the New England Patriots, and he just doesn't have it anymore. So you're right, uh, but I do think uh, not not to you know not not to segue into this into this next segment yet. I do think that. If there is a mass exodus due to age, that might force Bill's hand to think about 
what type of players he needs to draft because there aren't going to be those, you know, those six foot five or six foot three, 275 pound linebackers uh, in, in the first or second round. And when he when when Belichick picks a defensive player in the first round, 90% of the time they're a winner. I mean, he knows how to grade first round defensive talent. Stay the fuck away from wide receivers, but he knows yeah. he knows how to uh, to draft first round uh, talent. So, uh, do you have any closing thoughts on this game before we move to what I think is going to be the most entertaining discussion that we're going to have? I, I I look at this game and I I see what it was and what the Patriots were, and I you know everybody wanted to make the. I don't want to say comparison, but the likeness between this team and the 2001 team. And I, I just, I just think in this game leading up to it, there was a lot of, there there was a, there was too many hands in the cookie jar from somewhere, somehow. And the way this game went down, it had an air about it from when it, from the, from the opening kickoff that it was just going to go the bill's way. And it was a four and a half point spread going in. You're in I, that stadium. I don't know if that stadium has ever been that loud. Bill's yes. fans are some of the best fans. I mean, they are, they, they love their guys and they are loud and they are rowdy, but man, that stadium with a rookie quarterback in there. I mean, it, there, there's a reason why a rookie quarterback has never won a Super Bowl, And, and that's it right there. I, I just, sure. I love the way the bills played that game. Yeah, I think my final uh, my final thoughts on the game was it, it felt a lot like the 2009 wild card game against the Ravens, except it felt like in that situation, the Ravens caught them off guard with that 83 yard run by Ray Rice. Yep. In this situation, they weren't caught off guard; they just weren't prepared. They just right. it, it, they it, it it's like uh, what do you do when you find out that, that that you're not good enough and your and your arms just aren't long enough to box with God. That's what was happening in, in, in that game. And no matter what they did, <clears throat> by the way, I, I do hope that uh, Stephen Belichick was uh, calling that game because the fact that there were no no changes and no adjustments made on the defensive side of the ball that entire time, when after the third series, I could have told you what was going to happen. Everyone knew what was going to happen. Josh Allen was just going to stand back or there, or there could be you know that player on the first drive where he had 10 seconds to throw it, 10 seconds in the NFL. Now, he wasn't standing in the pocket by, you know, just, just standing there. I get it. He, he, he was flushed out. But the fact that you spent <clears throat> so much money in this offseason to improve your team and the most pivotal purchase in the offseason was Matthew Judon, someone to go in there and, and, and disrupt uh, quarterbacks, and he couldn't do it when you needed him the most and down the stretch he couldn't do it which leads me to you're gonna go you're gonna go here already oh yeah yeah i can't i can't resist all right go ahead a little while back on this show you can check the show notes uh, when we last spoke to karen gregan by right before the season started i you know i've been preaching and asking all, all the time about i need to, I, I just need to know that matthew judon isn't the new adelius thomas I, I, because, and I'll give you a little bit of context before we go into it. But when you think about Adelis Thomas and you think about Matt Judon, uh, they came from a Baltimore uh, scheme where they weren't scripted on what to do. They were literally put in a game to uh, to cause uh, to create havoc, right, and to cause chaos. So typically, 
when a, a player like that, now I'm not saying that he's undisciplined. I, I hope that you don't, that nobody takes it that way. But when you rely more on instinct to make an impact in the game, and then you, and you come to work for a, a guy, you know, a guy like Belichick who wants, who wants you to do exactly what he tells you to do, because if everyone does that, the defense will be perfect. At some times there, there's an inflection point. And I think that we hit the inflection point in week 13 with Judon. Now I've heard reports that he's, that, that he was hurt. He was injured. Great. If you go back and you read, and you read articles, he's always hurt or injured around week 13 of an NFL season. There have been, there have been rumblings that uh, when he's, uh, when the team's not doing well, or he feels like he's not being utilized to the best of his ability, he gets a little bit less engaged. Now, I, again, I, I don't, I don't know that he was dogging it. I, maybe he just ran out of gas. Maybe th- that's all true. But when I said, I hope that he's not the, the next Adelius Thomas, he isn't. Adelius was better. Adelius Thomas, in his two years prior uh, to coming to uh, New England and in his first year in New England. So I did this little stat comparison, right? Because uh, I, I was really juiced up for this. So uh, we're going to compare 2019 uh, through 2021 Judon and to so 2005 through 2007 Adelius Thomas. Cool? Games, uh, they both they both uh, they they both averaged right around 36, uh, 36 games during that period of time. Pretty good. Uh, ta- tackles. Adelius Thomas had one hundred ninety three. Judon had one hundred thirteen over the span of three seasons. Uh, let's talk about sacks. <clears throat> Judon twenty eight. A lot of all that is, is a twelve and a half this year. Adelius Thomas twenty six and a half. Force fumbles. Adelius Thomas six. Judon four. Interceptions. Adelius Thomas, four, two, two of which were returned for touchdowns. Matthew Judon, zero. So what you're seeing here is that uh, during the course of this time, uh, over uh, the average game, uh, Adelius Thomas was, would account for four tackles, four solo tackles, one QB hit, and at least, I think he averaged uh, 0.7 sacks. Judon is 2.4 tackles, uh, point, uh, ha- uh, about half a sack, but is forcing way less fumbles and isn't as impactful in the last two years of his stint in Baltimore and the first year in New England. 2000, uh, the reason why I bring this up, and you might be saying, like, why do you care? Like, it's, it's, you know, those are pretty good stats. Adelius Thomas had a really good 2007 for the New England Patriots. He was actually the, the best defensive player uh, on that team in the playoffs. In that run, uh, in, in, those four, uh, in those three postseason games in 2007, uh, Adelius Thomas had two and a half sacks, averaged uh, five tackles a game. In his one playoff game uh, this year, uh, and in the and in the three that he had with Baltimore, Judon had three solo tackles total, and forced uh, and had one sack. So, I think what I'm telling you here is. If the cliff is the same for, for Judon that it was for Delius Thomas, this is a bad contract. It's a really bad contract. And all the things that I was worried about at the beginning of the season, maybe it took a little while for them to, uh, for them to manifest. But oh boy, did they. And your, your most expensive purchase on defense since Stefan Gilmore did absolutely nothing for you and, uh, down the stretch. And when you needed him most in a postseason game, so I just wanted to take this time to uh, most humbly and graciously say that I was right.
Mike, would you consider yourself a, uh, a hypochondriac? No. You wouldn't consider because uh, right now I think you're being a hypochondriac when it comes to these two players. I, I think because you have it in your mind that you made this comparison that because of the way the end of this first season went with Judon here, I think you're you're automatically saying because there there is a comparison here. They both, yeah, they I mean, we can we can honestly say that that Judon was one of the best defensive players for the New England Patriots this year, even if it was just weeks one through 13. Yep. Right. Adelius Thomas was one of the best players on the New England defense in his year 30 season in 2007. Both of those years for those two guys, respectively, fell off from their previous year in Baltimore. And then this is where this is where I, I this is where I'm kind of agreeing with you. If 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 he follow if Judon follows the same trend as Adelius Thomas, then yes, in in two years time, I will say to you, bad contract. You were right. Well, right now, right right now, I just don't I don't think you're I don't I don't think you're right because of the style of team that he came in to. Matthew Judon is expected to be the guy. When Adelius Thomas came into that team, they had he was like he wasn't a cornerstone of that team. He was added in as a major piece, as Matthew Judon is. But Matthew Judon right now is expected to be the cornerstone of that defense. And Adelius Thomas came in, and the expectations are high here in New England anyway. And this is a conversation we had with Karen as well. Can he can he handle the pressure of the of the Boston New England media? Can he do that? So far, so good. So far, so good. He's been pretty gracious with the media. I think he's been a little, I think there's been a little animosity in his voice towards the, towards the coaching staff and the players. I think there has been that. I, I think there's a li- I, short, short form of this. I think there's a little bit of a Delius Thomas in Matthew Judon, but I, I think you're being a hypochondriac when it comes to this comparison right now, because, because you just, that you, you have a cough and you think it's a cold. It's, it's COVID, by the way. It's not just a cold. But so I, I understand what you're saying. But I, here's where I'm where I'm coming from. We we only we don't have many comparisons, like direct comparisons, to make in a situation where uh, Belichick will do something, will do almost the exact same thing in a situation that turned out not to have worked out the first time. Adelius Thomas and Judon are are very comparable uh, players in the sense that. The majority of their success that they that they had in Baltimore, uh, they had because they they did go off script. They played more on instinct. They they made the they made the call on the field to make that play. And what we've learned, you know, based off of all this unprecedented access that uh, Belichick has given us over the last four or five years, is that he really does preach. I don't need anyone to be a hero. If you all are where I where I tell you to be, things will work out. So sooner or later, my argument would just be that if you know that you are you were brought in here to be the guy, why would you then, once you're here, be told that you're only going to do what, what I tell you to do, right? Why did you pay him all that money to come in? And uh, if, it, if, if it was based off of him creating so much havoc and being such a great instinctive player to really just tell him to just, you know, run through the gaps and... And do this and do that. Now, I now trust me. I understand why Belichick does it because if you look at the Baltimore game, or in all of the games that that they lost, Judon 
uh, would over pursue the quarterback, right? So he would always give them a, a way out. They could just step up and run. Belichick's defense is predicated on the fact that you just you, you stick you stick to the corners. You don't let them you don't you don't let them get outside, and then you, you can prevent a big play. So there there are pitfalls with uh, with Judon's style of play. Now I don't know which one's better, right? I just know Belichick's won a lot of Super Bowls. That's all I know, and I think uh, to your original one of the points that you made about how they all fell off after uh, their last season in Baltimore. Judon had six and a half sacks last year, 12 and a half this year. So he got better for the first 13 games of this year. In, in that stat category, he absolutely got better. I, I just mean overall, if you look at the overall stat line, if there was some metric, uh, which there probably is, uh, there has to be nowadays, I think they both kind of, kind of they, there's comparisons. When, when they moved to New England from Baltimore. And that could be a bill thing. It could, we, we all know that John Arbaugh is much more of a let the dogs off the leash and, and see what they can do type of coach where bill is more like, let's hold the reins. Let's, let's analyze, let's game plan and, and then execute. And I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth on this all the time on what, the motivation was to spend money this past off season from bill was there pressure from Robert Kraft? Was it him that finally decided, Hey, these guys are all out on the market. I'm going to go get them. I think overall, I think Judon is a, is a hit so far. I think Hendrick Bourne is a hit. I think Hunter Henry is a hit. Uh, and right now, Nelson Aguilar, Jonu Smith, and Jalen Mills are are misses. Yeah, and and it, I I look at the quality of the players, and you know I I hope from I I don't want to say this from a Bill Belichick crony standpoint. I just want to say it from a Patriots fan standpoint of I hope this season was more about learning what he had than attempting to win the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Because there's teams yeah. that, there's there's teams that that tank uh, more so in the NBA than in the NFL. But the the Jets very easily could have tanked this year and you could tell with the amount of fight that that they had at the end of the year they they weren't going to take tank. I I really wish Miami kept Brian Flores because Bill, Bill Belichick's in trouble already as it is in this in this division because Buffalo's really good, Miami's on the up and the Jets are going to follow behind. I know the Jets seem like a cursed franchise, but I, I sometimes wonder and hope or, or wonder what the, the motivation behind the signings was and spending that money and hope that it was, these are four-year deals. We know we were getting a rookie quarterback. This is what we're attempting to do. Let's see what we have. And then in years two and three, we'll move forward. And then in year four, we'll, we'll see what we're doing. Like he's clear, It's clearly a rebuild period for the Patriots. And I know that they finished 10 and seven. And a lot of that goes back to Bill Belichick, but a lot of that goes back to the game plan and the players that he puts on the field. Here's the thing though, Joe, I, because I think what you just said is important. And I want to, and I, I want to talk a little bit about it. <clears throat> I, I do think that regardless of whether he'll ever admit it or not, having the guy that you let walk out the door, go, go down and win a Super Bowl in, in his first year without you and, and you go seven and nine, regardless of the situation, let's, let's just say they were all identical. That adds a little bit of pressure. And then on top of that is, you know, there's always been this uh, this common belief in the NFL that you can't rebuild a team through free agency. You have to rebuild it through the draft. 
That's true. But our biggest, what we thought were our, our, our biggest glaring needs going into the season, because remember, we thought we still had Stefan Gilmore along with, uh, with JC Jackson, right, on defense. We didn't know how, how old uh, the secondary was, was going to get so quickly. Our biggest needs were on offense. Bill can't draft offensive players, aside from quarterbacks. I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, he's hit on more quarterbacks than he's ever missed on. You can just go down the list. Uh, Brady's an easy one, right? But if you think, yeah, I mean, you think about Matt Castle, you think about Jacoby Brissett, Jimmy Garoppolo, those are all hits. Ryan Mallett was a big bust. But again, I think he, you, you can trust him in a top in a top three round position with 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 the quarterback and and even running back uh i think you know ray and i went through this a a couple uh a couple of weeks ago he said on most of his running backs but the glaring need was uh was uh was pass catchers and he can't draft those so i think he i think what he did there rebuilding the team uh rebuilding the offense through through free agency made a lot of sense and listen the judon thing it might, it might turn out that I'm unequivocally uh, wrong. Like if he goes on for the next three years of his contract to <clears throat> to average 10 sacks a year, sure. I'll, I'll, listen, we'll still be on here. We'll be, that'll be episode 484, and I'll be here to tell you <laughs> that I was that I was I was wrong about that. But I do think that there is something that to, uh, uh, to to kind of peel back the the onion here. You can point to I'd say like 15 plays throughout the course of the season where. It was a, it was apparent that Judon did not do what he was told to do, and it did not result in a in a positive way for the Patriots. There was another guy that's actually still on the team in his third stint back that is known for doing that, uh, Jamie Collins. Bill shipped him out twice, so I think Bill's tied to Judon. I don't know if, if his coaching uh, if his coaching style is going to change to allow Judon to uh, to flourish more, but I I do think it is interesting that. The minute that they got punched in the face uh, by Indy, he just disappeared. I mean, he was gone. And I think that might tie back into what I, what I originally said is that they bought into their own hype, right? And I think we all did too. They, they, they were playing so well on defense and it, it looked like th- that, that could be uh, a way for them to make it a, a deeper run to the postseason. But I think the Judon, the Judon point I really wanted to talk about uh, but then before we transition to, you know, what do they do now, which again will be a good segment. I think we learned a lot about the mental fortitude of this team uh, with, with, with the exception of a few. I mean, I think, like I said, Mac Jones, Damian Harris, they're bought in. Kendrick Bourne, bought in. Jacoby Myers, hope he stays, bought in. Uh, Hunter Henry, this is the first game, in his prof- uh, first year in his professional career that he was available to play the entire season. So clearly he's bought in. And <laughs> it can't get much worse than John Smith did this year, so hopefully that that that's that that's good for us moving forward. But aside from the the, the players that I just mentioned, you know Hightower, McCordy, uh, for different reasons, but I think you know Judon, I think they have, they have to take a real serious look at themselves and, uh, and and wonder if this is what they signed up for. Now, one of the, only one of them is under contract for uh, for a longer period of time, and. Is he going to uh, you know conform to the system, or will the system conform to him? McCordy's done. I, there, there, that's been that, and I said this a little while ago. He's done. He's floated retirement before. Uh, he floated it after the 2019 season. Yep. I, I think he's. I think he's cooked. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your time here in New England. He's he's one of the best to ever put the uniform on. 
and he's one of the most loyal to ever put the uniform on. Uh, one guy you forgot to mention in your in your bot in is Ramondre Stevenson. Oh yeah, who Ray and I have been drooling over all season because this kid is just really freaking good. I think Jakob Johnson bought in. I think Trent Brown came back and bought in. I think there's a lot of guys that are buying in, Mike. I I do. I think I think the 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 mental fortitude we saw diminish was after that indie game. I don't think it was just Matthew Judon. I think it, there was a lot of air let out of the balloon that is the New England Patriots. Uh, and I, I don't know that that's a, I don't want to say a bad thing, but you know, that that's, that's fine. You know, it, it just, it's the way the team is because like you said earlier, they don't have that guy that was there to pick them up every step of the way. And Mac Jones isn't that personality yet. He's never going to be Tom Brady. He's never, ever, ever going to be Tom Brady. But after this season, all I need him, all I want to see him do, and all we all should want to see him do is be Mac Jones. Yep. Be Mac Jones. For because sure. That, kid, that kid's smart. Uh, he has no problem laying his body out for a block. Uh, there's been a couple really funny blocks during the year with him. Uh, he's, he's fun to watch. He's not a statue like Tom Brady. I, I, that's part of the thing that I like uh, about him is he clearly has fun out there. Uh, when Brian Hoyer threw the touchdown pass to Jacoby Myers uh, against who the heck was that against? Regardless, it was in garbage time. And the first guy down there was Mac Jones off the bench. And it's just, you can just see that as a rookie, he's bought in. He's not afraid to get in the face of his, t- of his teammates. Uh, he's not afraid to, to do what needs to be done to attempt to get the job done. And unfortunately, I just don't think the team was good enough. It's it's so funny because we can go around and we can talk about the age of of players X, Y, and Z, the, the buy-in of players A, B, and C. We can talk about the youth. We can talk about this. We can talk about that. Plain and simple, the team just wasn't good enough. The team wasn't good enough. They were 10 and 7. They went on a seven-game run. We've seen teams do it before. You mentioned it about Pittsburgh last year when they started 11 and 0 with a very aging Ben Roethlisberger with a young team around him. It was a young team around him. And yet, still, you know, we can make these comparisons because there's been a lot of this stuff about Mike Tomlin floated out there. Uh, I, I think I think Mike Tomlin's a much better coach than a lot of you guys think. But it, it says something when he has that team that he had. Uh, and and still started the season eleven zero and eleven and zero and still finished with a winning record and then lost in the playoffs. His team just wasn't that good enough. And sometimes we're going to have those teams. We look at the Bengals. Are the Bengals good enough? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're just riding a high. Are the Titans good enough? Yeah, they are. Are the Packers good enough? Yup. Are the Bucks good enough? Absolutely. Chiefs, short. Sure. Bills, we saw it. Rams, yeah. The only two teams that I look at left in the playoffs and say. They might just they they might be missing one or two things. They're playing each other. Is the no? The, I was going to say the Bengals and the 49ers. Oh, I was going to say the Packers and the 49ers. But yeah, the Packers and the 49ers. But we can get to that shortly. But but my my point is, we, as sports fans and as as podcast creators and as news media, I just don't think they were good enough. I just don't. I and and I I think there was a lot of things that. You know, where you said McCourty and, and Hightower can look back and, and really evaluate, I think those two guys are gone. I think the coaching staff needs to evaluate what their role is and has been. I agree. I, I have 
I have an issue with with Stephen Belichick and Gerard Mayo sharing responsibilities on the defense. Now, granted, <clears throat> excuse me, I've always been. Yeah, it makes me want to puke too, Joe. Don't worry about I, it. I know. I've always been a proponent of we don't always need to know everything. You know, it, it's just the way the news cycle works in, in the world and in this country now is something is reported. And now all of a sudden we feel entitled to know every single piece of information about every single story. It's like, we just don't have the brain power to do that. And it's the same thing with this. So I don't blame bill for not naming a defensive coordinator or having two guys call the plays. The problem is the, the biggest problem that I have and, and that the coaching staff needs to evaluate in the off season is who is that guy on defense? Because bill is the, the alleged defensive mastermind. you, you have his son, who's the defensive backs coach, who I don't know if he if he knows or doesn't know what he's doing. I just don't know enough about the guy. You said that on the last show, too, is that we just don't know enough about Stephen Belichick. Gerard Mayo. Gerard Mayo is clearly a, a good coach of football because there's teams interviewing him for a head coaching job. So I think his role is bigger than what we think it is, just based on the fact that he is being interviewed. because you know, nobody's calling. They have to talk to bill, right? They got, they got to talk to the GM to get permission to talk to the coach. So when they call the Patriots, when you see those news things come across your cell phone or on the TV or wherever you see it or hear it, and it says Denver Broncos ask for permission to talk to linebackers, coach Gerard Mayo. Well, they've had to go to bill and they're going to say to bill, Hey, what do you know about this guy? And you know, sell him to us. To that point though, why aren't they calling about Steven? Because I don't think he has a, a heightened role. That's that's the point I'm getting to. Is I, I don't think he has the same, nearly the same role as Gerard Mayo. I think he's been given too much responsibility, though. But another problem I have with this coaching staff and going deeper into this is the fact that Belichick is this defensive mastermind. He's got Gerard Mayo, who's listed as a linebacker's coach, might as well be the defensive coordinator. Then he's got his son who is also allegedly calling plays or <clears throat> having a big part of the defense. And then you have as a special advisor. We know what that means with the Patriots. Oh, God, well, we God, have to, please. because he did it with, he did it with Josh McDaniels after he came back from the Rams. Remember, remember he left, he left Denver. Yeah. But he, he was, he was only the, the, the special counselor to the, uh, the, the offensive, uh, uh, scheme in the playoffs that year because Bill because Billy O'Brien was still was still on the staff so that was just what four games so after Patricia gets fired from from Detroit he comes back as the special defensive assistant like consultant it's the same thing it's the same the, the, the Mike the difference is is we we like Josh McDaniels for the most part we we yeah. dislike him less than than Matt Patricia Matt Patricia is can be seen on Sundays walking across the field during warmups. And he's supposed to be a special assistant or a consultant, and he's on the field. He has a bigger part. He has a bigger hand in that defense and that scheme and everything else. And 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 that's a problem. And and here's here's a here's a hot take. Gerard Mayo leaves to take a head coaching position this offseason. Matt Patricia will be reinstated as defensive coordinator. Yeah, well, that's because uh, the Lions are still paying his contract, and Bill knows what he's worth. It's it's not worth anything, right? So. But why do that? But why do that and not go get somebody that can actually call a defense? Bill, because Bill loves his people and what he loves more than his people is are his people coming back. 
and someone else paying for it. But listen, we're going to go into. I think we're going to we're going to spend a lot of time this offseason talking about the uh, uh, the the different coaches. The one thing that I'll say just about Patricia. I mean, he holds a press conference in in, in Detroit and says to and he says to somebody, "Why are you slouching? Like, shut up, you effing Pillsbury Doughboy. Shut up. Win a game. Beat someone besides the Patriots." Okay, so this this went a little bit longer than we thought it would. Shocker. Uh, the first one is going to be uh, a yes or no question, uh, and I'll, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you twenty seconds to expand upon it if you need to. Knowing everything that we know so far, uh, having seen what we saw this year, was this a successful year for the New England Patriots? Yes, absolutely. It's it's a rebuild year. It's a turnaround year for the New England Patriots. I I, I don't think Bill's going anywhere. I think uh, they they found the quarterback for now in Mac Jones. I mean, everybody wants to have this conversation. Is he the guy for the next 5, 10, 15 years? Well, right now, yeah, until proven otherwise. Was it successful? Yep, they went 10-7 and seven and they made the playoffs. And they they have an actual team and and vision uh, and, and pathway to, to go on right now with a roster. I mean, sure, there's a lot of changes that need to be made. But was it a successful year? Yeah, they, they're reestablishing themselves. And it was a, call it a bridge year, call it, call it a rebuild year. Absolutely, it was successful. All right, so uh, I'm going to say uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, here's why. I, I think yes, uh, you know, you improved on, on last year's record. Great, you made you made it to the playoffs. Yeah, it doesn't. You got blown out. Th- that's fine. I, I think that you hit on the quarterback, uh, which is the most important piece. Uh, typically, the team that spends the most in free agency improves uh, the year that that following season by about three wins on average. The year after, they decrease their win total by five. So we won't know if this was a successful year based off of the moves that he made because he chose to uh, rebuild in free agency uh, until after next year. But if we just look at this year, I-, I think the success of this year was identifying that you have a pretty good sense of what your offense could look like uh, with Mac Jones, Damian Harris, uh, 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 Stevenson, and you know Hunter Henry. So I, I, I'm kind of split, even though I asked the question. This I really want to talk about the Dallas 49ers and then the divisional and that, where do they go from here? So I asked this question uh, because in in 2022, the Patriots have a bunch of uh, of free agents, right? So the reason why I was, I'm hedging my bets on whether this was a, a successful year or not is because when you looked at uh, the offseason after the seven to nine year last year, the glaring issue on this team was offense, right? So you went, you spent astronomical amounts of guaranteed money to fix that. Now, here, here are a list of your, of your upcoming free agents. Dev McCourty, Trent Gone. Brown, Dante Hightower, Gone. JC Jackson. I, you know what? I'm out on him. I'm out. I, if, if, listen, if they can bring in a bona fide number one, number one corner, go ahead and sign him. But the problem is, is he's going to want money, and I think he's going to take it as a slap in the face. Oh yeah. If they say, "Hey, listen, this is what happened last year. Yep, you did all this good stuff, but you know, we this is the money we're going to give you." And I think he's going to get offended by that and he's going to see it as them doing the same thing that they did to to Gilmore. Yep. Uh, if they can bring in a number 1 and get him on good money, sure, bring him back. Otherwise, I'm out on. He's not of them. Right now, the Patriots are projected to have right around $20 million of cap space. So I don't know if, if right now you're, you even have the money to bring in a number one. 
that number will go up. There, there's going to, he's going to, he's got to make moves this off season. And I, I think, I think you're going to see some, some trades, some draft pick trades. It was reported, uh, the day that we're recording this January 19th, it was reported today that the jets are looking to move the number 10 pick in the draft because they have another pick in the top 10. So, uh, you know, they have the first overall pick. So they're, they're uh, do they have first? No, Jaguars do second or third Jaguars have the first They have the second or third. So they're, they're looking to move the 10th the overall pick. Okay. So let, let's see, let's see if bill tries to jump up this year. Like yeah. he, there was, we were talking about that last year, right? Him moving don't, up. don't, I'm, I, I'm mad enough, dude. Please don't do this to me. Don't, don't. Yeah, I know to get, to get Justin Fields. I'm sorry. I keep bringing up your, your, I'm, you're going to have nightmares tonight and I am the cause, but I think he's going to go defense. He's going to go defense because that's. He can see that they're aging. He signed young on offense, right? Like he signed, he signed the young guys on offense. So defensively, he knows he's got to go out and and spend. Now he's going to spend on the defensive end, and he's going to draft on the defensive end. So uh, we we just went over McCordy, Trent Brown, uh, Dante Hightower, J.C. Jackson. Then you have uh, Ted Karras. I think he's gone. I think he's gone, but I I like Ted Karras. Yes, I think uh, so. Matthew Slater, I think he's going to go. I think he's retiring. I think I think him, McCordy, and Hightower will will each ride off on the, into the sunset on the tee behind the Foxborough Stadium. Gillette. I, I think James White has a situation just like Edelman, where he retires and the Patriots uh, they make sure to compensate him. I mean, I, I think uh, I don't want to. We don't need to expound more on that. Uh, Brandon Bolden never liked him, so I'm out on him too. I don't understand. Hey, I don't understand this hate for Brandon Bolden because there's so many people in the not. I don't say hate. I think that you can just look at my feelings on Brandon Bolden and 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 think about it this way: it's toxic indifference. Don't care about him. The de- I, I feel I feel no certain way about him. Jamie Collins, I think he's probably out. I, I don't even. What did he do? What did he do? I don't know. What's, what's a swan song for him? I I don't know if he'll if he can go catch on with somebody uh, and and play a backup role or a situational role, but he's he's older too now. He might retire too. So the purpose of this exercise is that a year after you you spend a quarter of a billion dollars guaranteed to uh, to really buff up your offense, you need now to do something very similar to make your yourself right on defense. And you're going to have to now make some moves. You know, I don't know what uh, what John Smith's trade value is. It probably isn't high, but maybe you move him, or maybe you double down on him and you trade Hunter Henry. Who the hell knows to to pick up some more uh, some more capital? But I think now looking at the at this team. You're right. They do need to draft uh, on the defense. They also need to secure up uh, the, to to shore up that offensive line, because if yeah, it, you're, it, you're you're losing two starting offensive linemen essentially. I mean, let's say that Trent Brown and Ted Karras are both gone, and and the the other three guys aren't very good. Uh, well, David Andrews, that's not I, true. I mean, you're paying Isaiah Wynn to be really good. Yeah, but he's not. <laughs> no, I know we're agreeing. We're right. I, I know we're saying the same thing, and I know that was facetious on your part, but. It's just, he's just so frustrating to watch at times when he's there, when he's there. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, if you don't have Trent Brown, David Andrews and Ted Karras, you don't have an offensive line. I mean, that's your big three on the offensive line. So you're right. They're going to have to go on and do something. I think they made a mistake by not signing Joe Tooney. Uh, he, he's actually had a tough year in Kansas city and a good year, but it just, just tough. Like whenever, whenever you're watching a chiefs game and you hear about an offensive uh, an offensive line mistake. It's generally Joe Tooney. I think they made a mistake not bringing him back to New England. I, I think I think even if you sign back Ted Karras and Trent Brown, 
you still, you don't have a viable left tackle for your second year quarterback. Yep. And I mean, the left side of the offensive line needs to be replaced. I know Ted Karras can play on the left guard side. Ted Karras can basically play any of the middle three positions on the offensive line. Yep. Donna Smith, I think, I think the playbook is going to evolve as we head into Mac Jones year two. Uh, and I think that he'll be used differently. I think he was banged up this year. I, I think, I also think he's having a little bit of a tougher time. What's interesting is I I look at the Tennessee offense, and I say this because he came from Tennessee. I look at the Tennessee offense, and it's very – the Tennessee offense, to me, for some reason, seems very unorganized. And I I don't know what it is about it. They they have A.J. Brown. They they have you. Yeah, I, I know, and and maybe that's what it is. Is it's just it's it's organized chaos. I, I I don't know what it is, but it always seemed just like a strange offense to me. So when when John Smith came here, it, it it was a big culture shock for him. Where I think Hunter Henry playing with a guy like Justin Herbert, I th- I think you can make a lot of comparisons. I think Justin Herbert is more athletic than Mac Brown, and I'm not making this comparison where I'm saying. Was Justin Herbert. I just think there's a lot of comparisons, especially in the passing game between those two guys. So I think Hunter Henry just kind of fit into that. Yeah. Uh, I, so I, I would actually, I, I was talking about this. Uh, well, I don't know who else I talked to besides you guys, but I, maybe I was thinking about talking about this with somebody this week and uh, I just never actually pressed send. Uh, you know, we're hearing a lot about comparisons to Mac Jones and, you know, it's, it's his rookie year. So who knows? I'm not saying his arm strength, but I, I think. If, if if Mac Jones turns out to be Philip Rivers, you're like we we hit we hit no, we've hit we've hit we've hit really big. Okay, so we did we did a little autopsy uh, on the Patriots. We we got we we aired all of our grievances. It's time to put away uh, those sad tissues and time to break out the happy ones because now we get to talk about the absolute utter debacle in Dallas between the Cowboys and the 49ers that. Essentially, uh, Jimmy G played an excellent two and three quarters of a quarter or of, of a game. So sorry, but in the fourth, I've never seen a team try so hard to give the other team the win uh, than uh, than the 49ers. And maybe it's because they knew that the Cowboys just couldn't. They, they don't. They just couldn't take it. My my thoughts on this game because uh, I, I want to. We can go through this a little bit quicker. I think we I think we owe it to Bobby to at least talk about the fact like how dumb is Mike McCarthy? How, how now when when he, after that game ended uh, and first of all I don't know why you call it uh, or or why you would even advocate for your quarterback to scramble for 15 yards when there's only 14 seconds left and you know that he needs to down the ball and hand it to the official unless you don't know that he needs to down the ball and hand it to the fucking official. That's the only thing that that that, that goes through my mind. And we've talked about it on this show a lot this year that they have all of the talent and no discipline. And that's head coaching. Yeah. Million dollar arm, five cent head, right? Like they said about Ebby Calvin Lelouch in one of my favorite movies of all time, Bull Durham. Yep. Million dollar arm, five cent head. And you know, this is, this has been one of my gripes with McCarthy for a long time. It's one of my gripes with Tomlin. It's one of my gripes with a lot of coaches in the NFL that there is no clock management or no clock awareness by a lot of these head coaches. And it's like, it's something that they don't practice. They don't study and they don't adjust to. And now, you know, it, so many times we sit here and go, but 
you know, that that's why they're the NFL head coach. And we're just talking about it. I could manage the clock of an NFL game better than a lot of head coaches in the NFL. Sure. It just, it's just something that could be done. It's also, by the way, that's not a compliment. (laughs) No, right. Exactly. No, it's not the bright lights, the fans yelling this and that. Well, how, how has Mike Tomlin, and I know we're talking about Mike McCarthy, but how is Mike Tomlin and all these great years as the head coach of, of the Pittsburgh Steelers not learned how to manage a clock? Like, you don't, you don't think you would become more proficient in that? Like, if things in my job that I know I'm weaker at, I, I adjust to and learn so that I can be better at those things. How do you not adjust to those things as an NFL head coach? Mike McCarthy, Mike Tomlin. The, the saddest part about that, Mike, and you already said it is, that wasn't, that wasn't a scramble by Dak Prescott. That was a dined quarterback run. With 14 seconds and no timeouts, and you have to clock it. Take the take, take the the official having to touch the ball out of it. Well, you can't because they didn't know that. No, but 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 even if he had, I don't think they get it off. They weren't set. Right. They weren't set anyway, so they were screwed to begin with. So, how dumb is Mike McCarthy? I think one one thing we we saw last year that we saw again this year, there's, there's a, there's one big consistency in the coaching staff this year that was not consistent before, or there's one big consistently one big coach that is consistent for the Cowboys that has not changed in the last three years. And that's Kellen Moore. My God, that took me a long time to get that out. Kellen Moore has been there for He was pre McCarthy and he's still there. And while he is a good X's and O's offensive coordinator, I think he'll, he'll get better with age. He's about the same age as us and not everybody can be Sean McVay. Uh, but Kellen Moore, who calls the offensive plays, I think he called it and I think he screwed that up. Yeah. Listen, uh, knowing uh, that, that, you know, Bobby is our resident diehard Cowboys fan, right? And and he always finds the silver lining in any in any one of the turds that they lay out on the field, regardless of what, what the year is. And for him to tell us to give us an edict tonight, at, at, when this when we're recording this, to make sure that we know and that we articulate his frustration in uh, in this Cowboys team, that shows you something. And again, Bobby finds the, the good stuff in, in all of the bad. This is the reason that they lost this game is not because of talent. It isn't because. For the first time in quite a long time, Dallas had a well-rounded team. They had talent on both sides of the ball, and they had their they had their quarterback come back and play at an MVP caliber level, do better than he uh, than he did in almost every statistical category except uh, completion percentage. In, in th- then in 2019, and when it when it when everything else breaks down, if you are not coached, taught trained or instructed on the fundamentals of a game you will lose and you and they had 14 penalties called on them accepted penalties on them in this game and for them to even be in in the last second is a testament to the talent but we all knew what was going we we all knew what was going to happen i i did well one of the things that bobby said to us uh you know today uh and i i i want to echo it is as a cowboys fan 
you have to be more enraged as the divisional weekend approaches you because your team isn't there. Because all year they looked like that was going to be a team that would, that would make a deep run. And yeah, I, I like talking shit to him and busting his balls. But you can't deny the talent. Which brings me to my next question. Can they win? Can, can they actually win a Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy as their head coach? Or does Jerry need to do what he hasn't done since Bill Parcells for those two, uh, two and a half or three years? And that was the only time that he's done it since, uh, since uh, Jimmy Johnson. Does he need to go out and find someone that will disrupt whatever is going on in Dallas? Because, yeah, Kellen Moore, we hear a lot about him. He's a homegrown guy. Jerry likes yes men. He likes guys that fall in line and, and don't put too much pressure on him. But again, scoreboard. They haven't won a Super Bowl. They haven't advanced to the conference uh, championship since 1995. So two-part question, Joe, and you can expound upon it. Uh, will they ever win a Super Bowl with, uh, with, McCarthy, as, uh, with McCarthy as a head coach? And do they need to go out outside of Jerry's comfort zone to find someone to manage a team that he did a great job putting together? As a GM, I, I always go after him. He hit, he hit on every single draft pick this year and most of them last year. What are they going to do? Can they win a Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy as the head coach? Yes. Will they win a Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy as the head coach? No. Um, and and I, I always say something like this, and, and I, I can hear Dave's voice in my ears saying it doesn't matter. That's what the NFL needs more of, and he's absolutely right. There's too many big personalities on this team. Dak is a big personality, and we heard it, you know, when his contract was up, what he was going to, what he wanted, what he was going to command for, for dollar amount in years. And I don't think Dak had earned it. I still don't think Dak has earned it. I think Dak is a, is a top 10 NFL quarterback. I don't think he's earned to be paid like a top five quarterback. I, I, I just don't. Something about him, I, I don't think he has. I don't think he has it. Like McCarthy won a Super Bowl in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, because Aaron Rodgers, as much as Mike may hate to admit it, had it. Even if it was just a flash of it, he had it. I don't think Dak Prescott has it. So to expand on your question, can they win with him? I don't think they can win with Dak. Should Jerry go out and bring someone from the outside in? If if there was a list of the the worst good owners in sports, Jerry Jones is near the top of the worst good owners in sports. He's sure. he's a he's a great owner. He's a great GM. He 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 pushes that team the way it needs to be pushed in that market. He markets his team perfectly. He built that beautiful stadium. He's, he's got his own radio show. He goes on podcasts all the time. He talks to the fans. He's, he's not a down to earth person that we know that because he, he does the draft on his $250 million yacht in the Pacific ocean or, or wherever the heck he was, um, which is a, a different conversation, but Jerry Jones needs to give up the reins to the to the gm and and i know you just said he's done a great job putting that team together he needs to give up the keys to that car because i think he thinks he thinks more for the coach than i think the, the coach does and i think a lot of what he says and does resonates 
to the coaching staff and the playing style of the team. And I think that's detrimental to the team too. So it's a, it's kind of a perfect storm because what's, what's really interesting is, and I, and, and I, I didn't say this the other day because Bobby was very emotional and as he should have, we been. need to stop having to w- talk him off a ledge every, every week. Cause it's just the, it's the same thing with the Cowboys. So just, just expect it. Like just go through it. It is so funny though. But anyway, but without getting into that, there was a lot of comparisons made on Sunday by Bobby between Mike McCarthy and Jason Garrett. He said it straight up. He said, this is Jason Garrett all over again, but Jason Garrett's gone. Mike McCarthy's here, but what's the one constant Jerry Jones. So it's not, it, it's not Mike McCarthy. It, it may not have been Jason Garrett. Although G- Jason Garrett sucks. He was fired as the giants GM in the middle of uh, giants offense coordinator in the middle of the season. By by a moron, Joe Judge. I mean, by by an inept head coach. Well, yeah. He, I mean, he's a special teams coordinator. But the, but the, the the point is, is Jerry Jones is is the common denominator here. I think he's the reason why Mike McCarthy won't win a Super Bowl with the Dallas Cowboys as the head coach. Because you're right, they have the talent, but they can't put it together. They can't finish. Yeah, I, I think it's less about the person and more about the concept, right? I think we we know we've always talked about here in New England. Sometimes a Belichick would, the GM would really screw the coach, like like, and they're the same person, right? He he had to out coach because uh, of how bad the GM I uh, did. It just turns out he's he he was both. In this right. situation, I think more often than not, you can point to drafts. You know, I would say more recently, since we'll just say like since 2015, 2016, Jerry has done a really good job of 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 acquiring talent and drafting talent, outstanding drafter. But what he won't do is put someone in a position as a head coach to do what they want with that talent, right? It's I, And I could be wrong because I'm, I'm not a diehard Cowboys fan, but I think that that actually makes me more equipped to, to have this conversation, just like you. It, it, look, it looks like Jerry wants to win a Super Bowl his way more than he wants to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Without a, and that's exactly what I meant. And that... that that really kind of says what I said in, in what I was trying to say in so many words. He, he wants, he always, he's always wanted to do it his way. It, it's Jerry's way or the highway. That's, that, that's what we hear from down there anyway. So yeah, it's like, oh yeah, he, because he probably, you know, hearkens it back to, well, I, I went with Barry Switzer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that, uh, that team was all but uh, handpicked and, and, and coached up by Jimmy Johnson. Right, so you got lucky that you still had all, all that talent that a buffoon could walk in and, and win a Super Bowl with. Sure, it was like John Gruden winning a Super Bowl in Tampa. Well, I, the same thing, but John Gruden in that Super Bowl had had both teams that he uh, he had one team that he built and one team that he in, in, inherited, and they were both in the Super Bowl. So I think I mean, that's probably a, a testament to how he could do that. But I don't want to go down that 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 <laughs> that rabbit hole. I, I'll, we'll be getting just angry messages. One last thing before we move on to the divisional round, real quick. Is Jimmy doing to Trey Lance uh, to a lesser extent right now, so far, what Brady did to Jimmy? No. Do you think Jimmy's doing enough to keep his job next year, or is he doing, an, or is he just raising his trade value? I think Jimmy is has proved that he can be a starting NFL quarterback. We still see him on the injury report every week which was one of your biggest uh, gripes with, with Jimmy Garoppolo. I would also say not comparing the two guys, but we all always saw Tom Brady on the injury report. Now, the difference was 
Jimmy actually gets hurt. Tom was just there because he had an ache or a pain, and they just put him on there to, to for Bill to feel like he was being hilarious. Jimmy Garoppolo is a is a real NFL quarterback. I, I've said this from from the start. Is he is he doing to Trey Lance what Tom Brady did to him? No, I think he's doing to uh, for the reasons that you think. No, I think he's doing to Trey Lance what Tom Brady did to him in spite of his coach who clearly doesn't want him. I I just don't think Kyle Shanahan wants him there. So I think he's raising his trade value. I think he could go to a lot of places and, and be a starting quarterback, but I don't think he would be as successful somewhere else than he is in San Francisco. But the problem is, is that at some point in, in year two or year three of Trey Lance, somebody's going to get antsy. And it's either going to be Kyle Shanahan or Trey Lance. And Trey Lance is going to say, listen, if you're going to keep this guy around, fine. But I need to be playing. I need to do something. He can clearly play. We know Trey Lance can play. I think he needs to be refined a little bit more. I don't think he's as close to being a good starting NFL quarterback as as Mac Jones is. And I think Mac Jones is already a good starting NFL quarterback. But Jimmy's earned his job in San Francisco. It's just a matter of if Kyle Shanahan will remain keep him there he's a he's a really good game manager uh I, i've seen i especially in this game last week i saw a lot of similarities between jimmy garoppolo and mac jones i mean they they manage the game well they have similar arms uh mac jones is a tough son of a gun though i mean he's he's tougher than jimmy g will ever be oh yeah and and you know just to kind of throw a, a little bit of a, a a lighter side to this i Jimmy Garoppolo is the best looking quarterback in the NFL, so got to keep him around. My grandmother would disagree, but before uh, b- b- before we move on, uh, she's she loves Mahomes. Uh, he's a pretty good looking guy too. Just keep his brother in the room. I, I would just say that before we move on, I, I hope that we did a, uh, a a good job at at least talking a little bit about the frustration that uh, that a Cowboys fan would have from an outsider's perspective. It was it was so comical to watch, but. If that was my team, I would be I would be absolutely devastated. But we've been there, right? That's I I, I literally look at every postseason run in the last twenty five years as every postseason run of the Red Sox up until two thousand and four. They're just going to do enough to make you believe, and then they're and then they're absolutely going to defecate down your throat and, and make everybody watch and laugh at you. One last thing on this, and I'll, and I'll let you if you have a, if you have a comment. I think we learned a lot about the type of player uh, and person uh, and coach that uh, that McCarthy is and Dak Prescott are uh, in their post-game interview about how they were okay with the fans throwing trash on the field when they realized that it was about the refs. What happened at the end of that game was not the referee's fault. It was a lack of coaching, a lack of discipline, and a lack of understanding uh, of the fundamentals. Again, Say what you want. He never he never won a championship. If you can go back and watch the highlights, any time when the clock was running in the fourth quarter and it, and time could have expired, Arizona Cardinals, Larry Fitzgerald ran the ball to an official to have them uh, spike it to get set because he he knew the rule. He knew what needed to happen. This was just uh, this was just clearly uh, they didn't know and 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 they did not want to initially accept uh, the responsibility. It, it's amazing that, and this kind of goes into the the psychological and, and sociological side of of the, uh, the the sports fan, but the mob mentality in sports is just so it always it's it's always so amazing to me, and I, I consider myself a, a rules snob, uh, especially when it comes to football. 
And it's always so funny to be looked at as a leper when, you know, whether it's sitting in the stands at Gillette or hanging out with friends and I say something very confidently and they're all pissed off about something. And I say something very confidently that does not agree with what they say, because it's just the way it is. And you looked at like a leper for, for being right. And, and it's, we see that a lot in today's society, especially with what's going on in the world. We see that so much. And for anyone to think that that was the official's fault is, is it's asinine. I saw a comment the other day on a Facebook. I understand why a fan would think that, but they're not paid to understand the rules. No, but, but if a, but if a player and a coach, but that's, that's the other thing too, is we, we've seen that in, in NFL games where Donovan McNabb didn't know that you could tie in an NFL football game. It's like, how do you not know the game that you play? How do you not know the like, do you only know the rules for your position and the positions around you? Or do you, do you literally just not know the rules of, of, of the game? Because that that's a problem. You, you need to know the game that you're playing. I mean, those guys are paid to, to know the game inside and out, but to that end, there was a, uh, I, unfortunately I decided to dive into a comment section about this game and there was an oh, Eagles geez. fan in there that said that the NFL referees took away six to eight Eagles wins this year, six to eight Eagles wins, six, six to eight. That's so you, you thought the Eagles should have gone 16 and or 17 and one or 16 and one. We see one. Yeah. Basically what you're saying, a, a message to the fans. The referees don't take games away from your team. They're, you, the jokes are funny, but the jokes have gone too far. You know, yeah. the people said for years, and somebody said the, that, that like Tom Brady pays off the refs. And it's like, no, no, but I mean, we, we, we see it in the NBA all the time. Here's a, here's a smaller example, right? Like, do guys like LeBron James garner more calls than other players? Absolutely. Superstars automatically get more calls. They're, there, there, there is a sense of favoritism, and this is another problem in sports. And again, going down a rabbit hole that people don't want to talk about, and they're like, "Well, he's it's Tom Brady, so he's going to get that call." Yup, yup, he is. Like the, the plain and simple, he's going to. Those guys are going to get those calls. But I can assure you that the referees are not out to screw your team. The game isn't rigged, and and th- that's just not what's going on here. The Dallas Cowboys screwed themselves because they ran for it. With 14 seconds left and no timeouts to the middle of the field, my friends. So if you start throwing things on the field, that that's on you, man. I mean, fans. First of all, anybody that threw something on the field is just a, a piece of crap. I mean, you you no respect. I mean, they do it in Buffalo. Uh, they they do it in Dallas. They've done it. They do it all the time in Cleveland. They were throwing batteries at referees one year in Cleveland. I mean, just cut that shit out. It's it. At the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal, and it's not going to make or break your life. Get over I it. would say, though, uh, and uh, again, I, I'm not advocating. So, you know, uh, for anyone out there that's looking to cancel me, you're not going to get me this time. I'm not advocating for anyone out there uh, that, that's in in the stands to throw trash or to throw any objects on the field, right? What I will say is there is a big difference between paying for a ticket and thinking that something ha- happened that went wrong and not understanding the rules and and being paid to play in that game and echoing the same sentiments, right? You can't do both. Okay. So rapid fire round real quick, a divisional uh, round outlook, right? So I'm going to read you the game, uh, read you a little bit of a byline about the game, and then I want you to tell me who you think is going to win and why. 
and we'll try and keep this under uh, 85 minutes for the segment. So Saturday, uh, January 22nd, we have uh, number four seed Bengals at the number one Titans. Uh, The Bengals are in the divisional round for the first time in 31 years, and they will be playing a Titans team that will more than likely have Derrick Henry on the field for the first time since October. Who wins the game and why? Bengals. They're on on a roll. The Bengals are on a roll, and something about the Titans doesn't sit with me. I mentioned their offense earlier just seems like controlled chaos. Having Derrick Henry back is going to be an X factor for them. Of course, the the guy's one of the best running backs possibly to ever play the game. He's he's outstanding. But as Mike has said many times, you can't win a championship with a running back as your best player. You can get there with a running back as your best player. This Bengals team, Zach Taylor, what a what a job this guy's doing. I had this guy out of Cincinnati before he had barely stepped off the plane last year. Uh, he's doing a great job with this team. Joe Burrow is the the real the real deal, man. Jamar Chase is absolutely incredible. This team loves playing for him. They love playing for Zach Taylor. That defense has been when when the offense is clicking. And funny how we come back to this when they have that guy, right? When they have that guy, Joe Burrow right now in his second year is that guy. Yeah, that defense plays better. I the, the Bengals over the Titans. You know what? I I wholeheartedly agree, uh, but I'll just add a caveat that I think uh, in this game, or really any game uh, that the Titans are in, it's uh, dependent on who gets the ball first and what type of offense they have. Yeah. Right, so if the Bengals do show up and they are that uh, that high powered offense, they put up seven points on their first drive. You've you've really just uh, uh, relegated Derrick Henry in that game because you can't dedicate thirty five handoffs to him and drain all that clock if Joe Burrow can just go do. Not to the same extent, but kind of replicate replicate what uh, what Mahomes did to them in, in, uh, in the AFC title game a couple of years ago, right? So you, I think I think Bengals uh, I have the Bengals in that one too. Yeah, I'm I'm with Craig as a lifelong Bengals fan. I think it's going to be a great game for the Bengals on Saturday. That's right. 49ers, 49ers at Packers. Uh, so Aaron Rodgers gets a chance to beat the one team he has he has not been able to knock off in the playoffs. The, uh, Aaron Rodgers is 0-3 all-time in the postseason against the 49ers, but he did beat uh, 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 the 49ers this year and lead Green Bay to a 30-28 to victory over San Fran in Week 3. Who wins? Green Bay. And I, I think there's a few factors that play into this. Uh, you're playing in Green Bay in January, in late January, at night. In a very loud, it's going to be a very loud Lambeau field. Uh, and as much as uh, Aaron Rodgers has had an incredible season, right? Uh, and I know your feelings on him that he he poops his pants at this point in the year. I I, I don't think he's going to do it yet. I think he can get past this week. Uh, I don't know if the 49ers have enough to get there. I think they're I think they're a a mostly prolific team. Uh, Elijah Mitchell and and uh, um, Debo Samuel have been very good for them offensively. George Kittle's been okay. Uh, Jimmy's been playing well, and that defense is dangerous. They may or may not have Nick Bosa after he left with a concussion last week. He's he's a big factor. If, if he can play, they have a better chance because that defense is better with him on it. If the forty nine the forty niners are not going to see the Cowboys again, if that makes sense. This isn't going to be the Cowboys. This is the Packers. Uh, Matt LaFleur is a better coach than than Mike McCarthy, even though Mike McCarthy has a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. 
but the, the Packers are the Packers will take this one. I don't think it'll be easy. I think the 49ers will will give them fits and make it frustrating. That that's the kind of team the 49ers are, but the Packers get by. Yeah, I want to say that the uh, that the Packers are going to go out there and lay an egg, but in reality, I think that the 49ers are going to beat them in overtime in this game. I think it's real. I I, I think, you know, you can say yeah, Aaron Rodgers is one and in Super Bowls. Great. He's one in five in conference title games. The, the, he he chokes. He that this is what he does, and if you all the things that you talked about uh, about Kyle Shanahan and, and and the San Francisco offense, that that's real. Now I don't know that the Packers have an answer for Debo Kittle and uh, and Elijah Mitchell, who's playing like everyone thought he could have played earlier in the season. Finally, so if that happens, I think it will be close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. I just I'll, I promise you, you heard you you heard it here. Uh, I will never pick Aaron Rodgers in a, in a in a game that happens in January or February. It will never happen. Uh, so on Sunday, three oh five Eastern Time, we have the Rams going to uh, to Tampa Bay. So Tom Brady and the Buccaneers will get a chance to to make up for one of their losses that they had in the regular season. That's back in Week Three. The Rams beat uh, the Bucks thirty four twenty four. I I think the big difference in this game uh, is that this will be played at home. Tampa was eight and one this year uh, at home, and also I know that this that this is clouded stats because he was the quarterback here for such a very long time. Tom Brady is one hundred and thirty four and twenty seven at home in his career. He he is currently sixteen and five uh, as a member of the Bucks. So, I think I, I think home field advantage uh, uh, matters right now, uh, and I also think that I truly believe that the Packers are going to get eliminated. So, if the Bucks win, they'll they'll be the top seed in the NFC. Uh, I think what we saw last week, yeah, it, it was the Eagles, but there was something different about the way that that defense was playing. That it looks like uh, that they were able to turn on the switch and flip the switch lap, uh, last week. If Leonard Fournette comes back and is uh, and is anywhere close to the type of player that he was in the first eight weeks of this season, I, I think I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be a game. I, I don't think there's I don't know that there's going to be any blowouts uh, that happen in divisional weekend. I think <clears throat> Stafford uh, traveling to Tampa. I think the moment gets a little bit too big for him. I do think he uh, he has a really good coach. Uh, I think I really like McVay. And we'll see. I, this is a this is a pick'em for me, but but I I do think that Tampa walks out with the victory. This is the toughest game to pick this weekend. I, I agree with you with on on the 49ers point and why you wouldn't pick Aaron Rodgers. So I can, it's like I I pick the Packers, but I can see the 49ers winning. This one, it's it's a pick'em. The uh, the bright lights of Tampa going to be too much for Matt Stafford. That's that's a good point that you just made. Like uh, you kind of have the same feeling with Matt Stafford, less uh, close to, uh, but less so than you do with Aaron Rodgers. It's almost the same. Where it's like, all right, well, he hasn't done anything until this year, so why pick him against Tom Brady? We know that Tom Brady has beaten Sean McVay in a Super Bowl. Uh, we know that Tom Brady is known for making his opponents unsettled, and. The Rams are a team that I said when OBJ went there and and uh, and even before that, that there's there's a lot of big names there. Can they handle the pressure of going up against Tom Brady? I think the Rams can pull this up, and I'm going to pick the Rams. And the reason I'm going to pick the Rams is because they their momentum is so high right now. Now, not that the Buccaneers isn't, but the Buccaneers are on such a consistent path. They've been very consistent. 
And that's a good thing. That's that's in their favor. I think this Rams defense is very good. I think the Rams offense is too overpowered for what the Buccaneers defense can throw at them. And I think Matt Stafford, with the weapons he has, I think he's more confident in these weapons now than he ever was in his weapons in Detroit. And I'm not saying Calvin Johnson. I'm just saying overall in general. Now, he doesn't have a Calvin Johnson type, but he does have Cooper Cup. He's got Tyler Higby, who's a very good tight end in this league. He, he's got Odell Beckham Jr. It still hurts to say that, uh, but he's been very good. Uh, he's, he's got a really good team. Van Jefferson has been really good. I, I think the Rams are going to take this Let, short, the short form. I, I think the Rams can take this. Uh, I think it's going to be a really close game. If it comes down to Brady having to lead a, a, a small comeback at the end of the game, then it's probably going to go to Tampa. But if the Rams can, if the Rams play this right, and if Sean McVay can learn from his previous transgressions against Tom Brady, the Rams can take this. I, I think I think it can be Rams Packers um, in in the NFC Championship. I think Scotty Miller is going to be the MVP of this game because I I, I, I I think Jalen Ramsey is going to do it again. I think Jalen Ramsey is going to absolutely shut out uh, Rob Gronkowski. I think I, I think that they're going to take away Brady's ability to go to him. Uh, so it's it's going to be Scotty Miller. But I do think that the, the Bucks are going to win. I, I, I just trust Brady to not make a mistake more than I trust Matt Stafford not to make a mistake and, and, sure. and, and not cut in time. Final game on, on, on the on the docket is the number three Buffalo Bills traveling to Kansas City at 6.30 p.m. on on, on Sunday. I think it's the, it's probably the most anticipated game of the divisional round. You're, you're going to be getting a rematch of last year's AFC title game. I think this... We've learned more about the Bills this year, right? They were able to kind of get that monkey off their back. And I don't know. Uh, I Listen, I know that Kansas City can score. But I don't know that Kansas City's defense can stop Buffalo from scoring. And I don't. And maybe Buffalo doesn't make the mistakes that they made last year. Maybe the moment isn't too big for them. I do think that what you saw last week on the field against New England was, was their coming out party and was like their Super Bowl. So I'm going to take the Bills. I think the Bills are going to go to the Epstella game. Buffalo's a wagon with a capital W. And I, I, I just think they're, I think they're so good, man. And the Chiefs, you and I have said it, and we've all said it this year, but you and I have said it, I think, mo- most predominantly, is that the Chiefs have a flaw. It just, especially in that offense, which sounds weird to say, but there's, there's, a, there's a flaw in that team that I just can't put my finger. Andy Reid is probably the best coach remaining in in this in this playoffs like overall he's the best coach remaining of the eight head coaches can he be that factor that gets them past buffalo buffalo has a has a problem sometimes putting up performances back to back weeks it's almost like they get tired and it's like all right we you know we we spent all our energy on the patriots We're just not going to be able to against the Chiefs, and that's kind of really short form. I like Buffalo here, too. I I really like Buffalo. As a lifelong Buffalo Bills fan, Bills Mafia, that sounded gross as a Patriots fan coming out of my mouth. I know. I'm sorry. I I love this Bills team, man. I I loved them in the preseason. I've loved them all season long. uh, Josh Allen is is a, a really good quarterback. Devin Singletary has figured out how to be an NFL running back. They have prolific wide receivers. They have a really, really good tight end in Dawson Knox. That defense is ridiculous. And I'll tell you what, that's a hell of a coaching staff. I mean, McDermott, Dable, Frazier. 
I mean, Dable and Le- like Leslie Frazier, man, like what after he left Minnesota as the head coach, it was like, what's he going to do? And now look at him. He's, he's coaching one of the best defenses in the NFL. And, and he's got a chance to go to the AFC title game. And same thing here, as I said, with the Bengals, I think the bills are just, they just have that guy that they have that guy that has the it factor right now. And, and all I can say is I, I think the AFC championship between Joe Burrow and Josh Allen in Buffalo is going to be a great game. Wholeheartedly agree. And if we get out now, we'll, we'll do this in less than 90 minutes. So for Broadway, Joe Malkin, this is Michael Marcangelo saying thank you so much for listening to Missing the Point. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Electric Cast.